This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today I'm going to cover The Lessons of History by Will and Ariel Durant. This is book 49 of 52 from my 2019 reading list. This episode will consist of three segments. The first will be a brief introduction to the book, the author who suggested it, and my initial reaction. Second segment will be three big ideas that stuck out to me in this book, as well as other books that this has reminded me of from the Books of Titans reading list. And the final segment is the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. So on to segment one, the authors are Will and Ariel Durant. They were a married couple and they wrote this book together. Will was born in 1885 and Ariel in 1898. They married when Ariel was just 15 years old and uh, they died within two weeks of each other. They were very much in love and they both died in 1981. Will was a philosopher, a historian, and an American writer. And Ariel was was actually born in Russia and then uh, came to the United States and they created some great great work together. They, uh, they've written a number of books. So this one, The Lessons of History, was written in 1968. And it's a, a consolidation of a set of books that they had written that covered, well, it's called The 11-Volume Story of Civilization. And that was written between 1935 and 1975. So this book, the lessons of history written in 1968 was was within that time period. But just uh, here are all 11 volumes of this grand story of civilization. One, our Oriental heritage. Two, the life of Greece. Three, Caesar and Christ. Four, the age of faith. Five, the Renaissance. Five, the Reformation. Uh, six, the Reformation. Seven, the age of reason begins. Eight, the age of Louis Fourteenth. Nine, the age of Voltaire. 10, Rousseau and Revolution, 11, The Age of Napoleon, and they actually had two, mo- two more volumes in the works when they died. The 12th volume w- was to be The Age of Darwin, and the 13th, The Age of Einstein. So uh, all these volumes, I mean, if you see these on a shelf, it, it would almost take up a whole row of a shelf. And so what their purpose was in this book was to consolidate everything they had written there into an, a 102-page book which is what this is. And it reads that way. I mean, each paragraph, I'll, I'll read a paragraph in the next segment, uh, but it's just, it, you feel like you're, you're getting a, a huge overview of history and, and the forces and the trends and, and all that, and they're combining all this into one book. So it's really fascinating in, in that sense. Uh, and, and basically what they, they try to do is just give an overview of, of themes that they ob- observed from a all these years of history that they that they that they covered, and so in in the lessons of history, it's broken up into twelve different if twelve different chapters, and they, so they cover issues of geography, biology, race, character, morals, religion, economics, socialism, government, war, growth and decay, and progress. As for who suggested the book, it was Naval Ravikant, Ray Dalio, and Howard Marks. 
on different episodes of the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. So it's it's been suggested quite a bit. I've seen it all over the place. I've seen a lot of people reading it. And because it is such a short book, it's it's one that uh, it's I, I got through it in a couple of days. Uh, it's 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 one that it's just got a quick read and a, a good book, a good overview of of a lot of history. This book actually uh, won the Pulitzer Prize too for general nonfiction in 1968. As for when I read it, uh, I, I just read it this past month uh, in November 2019. I, I read it from November 3rd through the 4th, so uh, just over two days, a two-day period. It's a 102-page book, as I mentioned, It's uh, so that was 50, 51 pages per day. It took me two hours, 42 minutes, and 27 seconds in total, about a minute 36 per page. I read this while on a business trip, so you know, just kind of in spurts a a lot of it uh in the airport and and traveling and on the plane and so uh quick read but um i i also found that uh when i was preparing for this episode i had a hard time remembering what i read in this in this one because i was kind of in flux and traveling and you know a lot going on uh in terms of listening for for flights and all sorts of stuff that i i i kind of had to reread it again just in preparation for this this episode. And that wasn't too bad because it is such a short, a short book. My initial reaction, uh, it, it, it's a connects to a lot of the other books of Titans books. And I'm glad I read those before this one, but that, but that was neat to see a lot of things that stuck out, like kind of my key ideas from a number of other books of Titans books. Uh, I, I saw those same things written about in this book. And I'll, I'll highlight that in segment two. But I, I always like seeing that and it just kind of reinforces those those ideas. So it's a it's packed. This book is packed full. Uh, each chapter is very, it, you know, a, a lot of information in, in each chapter it really makes you think. Uh, but but it is a, a quick read and, and the connection points were, were really neat. And then it, it's one of those books that that offers you a framework for looking at grand arches of history or grand trends, major things to look for, maybe kind of two different systems to look for within a, a country. And, and, and just even identifying that can kind of help you understand where that country was at that particular point in history, uh, what, how that led to something else. And so um, I, I really appreciate these books that give you these frameworks for history because they do, they, they allow you to, to approach history, uh, one part of history within a grant, uh, a bigger narrative. And so that's very helpful just in, in approaching history in general. I'd say Guns, Germs, and Steel is another book that 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 does that very well and, and just kind of helps you place different things in history. As for who should read the book, if, if you're interested in that kind of thing of, of, of getting a framework, um, helping you understand different parts of history, this is a very powerful book uh, in that sense, and a powerful way to to look at the history, in in those uh, different sections I mentioned, where you know it's uh, race, biology, morals, religion, economics, government, war, uh, giving giving different different groups for for those things, and then just uh, also for who should read the book, if you're if you're interested in a broad view of history, uh, kind of a consolidated look at uh, uh, five thousand years of history quick read. I mean, it, it's uh, uh, three hours, two to three hours, you should be able to get through this one and, and get a pretty good, good overview of the last 5,000 years. All 
All right, in segment two here, I'm gonna highlight a few different ideas that stuck out to me in this one. First one is the concentration of wealth. I'm gonna read this paragraph. I also wanna read this paragraph just as an example for, for the type of, of paragraph you, you come across in this book. So here we go, this is from page 55. Since practical ability differs from person to person, the majority of such abilities in nearly all societies is gathered in a minority of men. The concentration of wealth is a natural result of this concentration of ability and regularly recurs in history. The rate of concentration varies, other factors being equal, with the economic freedom permitted by morals and the laws. Despotism may for a time retard the concentration, Democracy, allowing the most liberty, accelerates it. The relative equality of Americans before 1776 has been overwhelmed by a thousand forms of physical, mental, and economic differentiation, so that the gap between the wealthiest and the poorest is now greater than at any time since imperial, plutocratic Rome. In progressive societies, the concentration may reach a point where the strength of a number in the many poor rivals the strength of ability in the few rich. Then the unstable equilibrium generates a critical situation, which history has diversely met by legislation redistributing wealth or by revolution distributing poverty. End quote. It's just a good paragraph. First, it tells you that the concentration of wealth is a natural result. It happens all the time. It, hap- it has happened throughout history, irrespective of type of government, type of uh, system set up, it, it, it's going to happen. And then at some point, it's going to hit a critical mass, and it's either going to be redistributed through legisla- legislation, the, the wealth will be redistributed, or there's going to be some sort of a revolution, and that will lead to more poverty. So just a, a interesting thing, and, and I guess a good reminder uh, as, as these ideas come up a lot now in, in political discussions and with a, a presidential election coming up, a good reminder that, that these things have gone, gone on throughout history. In fact, there, there's a, one of my favorite chapters in this book. It talks about China and China going back and forth between laissez-faire and government control of the economy. And the, we're talking like a few years in, into the in, into AD, uh, so like around the time of, of Jesus Christ, and you've got China going one way for a while, and then the other way, and, and, and going through that history. And it's just fascinating, because I'll tend to have the idea that a lot of this is new. Um, capitalism or the dis- the the discussion of of do we should we go communism or or should we go capitalist uh in in that kind of raging all over the world in different countries and different leaders being elected uh but this has been going on forever and and just take one country china as an example and and see how they've dealt with it over their history and and what uh the the government out of the way led to and then what government control led to and there's a lot of examples of that, and, and they go through that in this book. Another idea from the book that stuck out to me is this interplay between freedom and equality. I'm going to read a, a chapter here. Nature smiles at the union of freedom and equality in our utopias. For freedom and equality are sworn and everlasting enemies, and when one prevails, the other dies. 
Leave men free and their natural inequalities will multiply almost geometrically, as in England and America in the 19th century under laissez-faire. To check the growth of inequality, liberty must be sacrificed, as in Russia after 1917. Even when repressed, inequality grows. Only the man who is below the average in economic ability desires equality. Those who are conscious of superior ability desire freedom, and in the end, superior ability has its way. Utopias of equality are biologically doomed, and the best that the amiable philosopher can hope for is an approximate equality of legal justice and educational opportunity. A society in which all potential abilities are allowed to develop and function will have a survival advantage in the competition of groups. This competition becomes more severe as the destruction of distance intensifies the confrontational states. A lot to unpack there, but basic idea is... If you have freedom, it's going to lead to inequality. If you want to get rid of inequality, you will force things to where people will lose their freedom. So there's there's either or there. And uh, as, he, as he says, for freedom and equality are sworn and everlasting enemies. And when one prevails, the other dies. Another idea that uh, we discussed in a recent episode when we, when we discussed... Um, uh, Talib's latest book is is Chesterton's Fence, and this comes on page thirty six. He doesn't men- mention Chesterton's Fence, but uh, it, it reminded me of that. Um, he goes, "So the conservative who resists change is as valuable as the radical who proposes it, perhaps as much more valuable as roots are more vital than grafts. It is good that new ideas should be heard for the sake of the few that can be used, but it is also good that new ideas should be compelled to go through the mill of objection, opposition, and contumely. This is the trial heat which innovations must survive before being allowed to enter the human race. It is good that the old should resist the young and that the young should prod the old. Out of this tension, as out of the strife of the sexes and the classes, comes a creative tensile strength a stimulated development, a secret and basic unity and movement of the whole. Uh, and end quote there. Uh, the, the, the idea of Chesterton's fence is if you come across a fence, instead of going up to it and, and, and just saying, well, there's a fence in my way. I, this is ridiculous. I, I, I need to tear it down and get it out of the way. Before you do that, at least ask why the fence is there. Why did somebody build this before I was born? Why, why is this fence? Why is this idea? Why, why is this form of government? Why is this rule? Why is this law here? Uh, before it, we just look at, look at it and, and try to tear it away, uh, let's, let's just con- at least consider first why it's there in the first place. Now, just want to connect this book to other books that have been in the in the Books of Titans reading list. And the first is Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Rosling. Uh, I read that one this year. It was one of the most impactful books. And this book talks about birth rates decreasing with advances of industry, urbanization, education, and standards of living. And that's pretty well known, but um, uh, in Factfulness, uh, Rosling gives a lot of uh, different examples of that. And then it's also mentioned in this book. Uh, this one also reminded me a lot, as I mentioned before, of Guns, Germs, and Steel. Uh, both books give a, a really good uh, framework for thinking about about history. And there, there are a lot of points in this book where in the margin I would write uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Because it's just uh, what he spoke about in that book. Uh, there's a lot of 
the same information in, in lessons of history. And the last one is skin in the game. Uh, there are a lot of discussions on minorities and survival. Uh, for instance, on page 46, he says, nature and history do not agree with our con- conceptions of good and bad. They define good as that which survives and bad as that which goes under. End quote. Talib in, in Skin in the Game talks a lot about uh, the Lindy effect and, and survival and how you don't, you don't want to look at book sales when the book first comes out, but how is that book selling 5, 20, 100 years after it was written? And that that being more important, or the survivability of a particular religion across history, that means more than than other things about uh, d- different ideas. Um, how, how long ha- have these ideas survived? Uh, kind of back to that Chesterton's fence, uh, c- connecting with that as well. Now on to segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book, it's this statement. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. I'll read that again. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. This ties in with another Another paragraph, this one on page 86. The general smiles. You have forgotten all the lessons of history, he says, and all that nature of man which you described. Some conflicts are too fundamental to be resolved by negotiation. And during the prolonged negotiations, if history may be our guide, subversion would go on. A world order will come not by a gentleman's agreement, but through so decisive a victory by one of the great powers that it will be able to dictate and enforce international law, as Rome did from Augustus to Aurelius. Such interludes of widespread peace are unnatural and exceptional. They will soon be ended by changes in the distribution of military power. You have told us that man is a competitive animal, that his states must be like himself, and that natural selection now operates on an international plane. States will unite in basic cooperation only when they are in common attack from without. Perhaps we are now restlessly moving towards that higher plateau of competition. We may make contact with ambitious species on other planets or stars. Soon thereafter, there will be interplanetary war. Then and only then will we of this earth be one. End quote. Just kind of a funny, uh, funny quote there, but uh, a lot of a lot of uh, wisdom in there as well, and and consolidation of of history. And it just struck me that uh, of of all those years of recorded history, and again, this was written in 1968, so we have another another. Um, uh, 50 years almost, uh, or over 50 years, uh, which have included quite a bit of war as well. Uh, we've only seen 268 of those without without war. So to recap this book, uh, short and concise, I, 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 I wanted to keep this episode short and concise as well, because I want you to read this book. I don't want to give too much of it away, but it is an important book. It's a good one for, for developing and establishing a framework to think about history. And it's packed full. I, in, in these paragraphs I read for this episode, it, it, there's so much in each in each paragraph. It it really is a consolidation of of all the all the information that they gathered and, and wrote about over over those forty plus years uh, writing about history. So I encourage you to read this one. And that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. I started this project because I wanted to connect other people who are reading the same books or 
people who, who had uh, books to, to suggest as well. So feel free to email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's Eric with a K, so it's E-R-I-K at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode or, or other episodes or even what you're reading. Follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And also check out the website, booksoftitans.com. I have a ton of resources there to help you find books and to create a reading list. I also just released my 2020 reading list of 52 books. I can't wait to get started on that one so you can look and see what books I've chosen, uh, the order that I'll be reading them in. And if you click on each book, you can see I, I put a little reason as to why I chose that particular book. Next week, I'll be back covering the Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn. This one, I'm reading it right now, and it is it is intense. Uh, it's one of those books where the uh, best way to describe it is there's going to be Eric before he read this book, and then there's going to be Eric after he read this book. And the Eric after reading this book is not going to be the same person. So looking forward to, to uh, discussing that one in, in next week's episode. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.